Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Ultra Hope Girls at Danganronpa Podcast. In this episode, we are going to be going through Chapter 3 of Ultra Despair Girls and just diving deep into that. But with that, we want to let you guys know that some of the things we talk about are going to focus around sexual assault and rape. And if that is something that is not healthy for you to listen to, please skip over this episode. That is totally fine. And we look forward to seeing you in our next episode release. If you feel unsafe in your home, if you are looking for help, you can call the National Human Trafficking Hotline at 1-888-373-7888. And if you feel that you want to talk to someone about sexual assault, or if you feel that you have been assaulted, please call 800-656-4673. And we, we here at the Ultra Hope Girls are sending you love and sending you support. And yeah, we're here for you. But just so you know, this episode will spoil through. Chapter 3, Ultra Despair Girls. And with that, let's get going. I'm Maddie. I'm Marin. And I'm Caroline. And we're the Ultra Hope Girls. One, two. Welcome to the Dong and Rumpa podcast. You're on the threshold of an amazing episode. Showtime. All right, squad. Welcome back to another episode of Ultra Hope Girls of Danganronpa podcast. Yeah, baby. We're covering probably one of the most hard to get through chapters in Danganronpa as a series as a whole, which is chapter three of Ultra Despair Girls. Yeah, this is definitely the chapter that I was, I think, least looking forward to replaying throughout the entire series. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel you there. This is the chapter that almost made me stop playing this game entirely when I was like first playing it we will get to that later but like it was I came very close to putting it down and never coming back to it I think that the creators of Danganronpa definitely pushed the boundaries in terms of what they include in their video games and they definitely did not stop here I don't know in some ways I respect that and in other ways I'm you know like it was hard to get through but I think that's the point is is the the message yeah. that I got. Um, so the first thing that happens in this chapter is um, I have my my first note that Kamaru is on a Zoom call with Makoto. And, um, <laughs> you know, isn't that just topical? But, you know, so they're at the top of this tower and Toko's kind of like cowering in the corner because she doesn't want Makoto to see her at first. And, you know, she's acting really weird. But um, one thing that I couldn't help but notice is that Makoto's face and like the kind of green screen that he's behind on that laptop remind me of Alter Ego from Trigger Happy Havoc a lot. And so because of that, did anyone else wonder or like question whether that was actually Makoto? Oh, I didn't at all. I, I really thought it was him because at this point, this game is so brutal that I was like, if that if he is like fake or dead, I... that's it (laughs) I'm I'm signing off (laughs) yeah I definitely did think it was him but I did also think that he had changed since we saw him and I I don't know if it's because we're not within his head anymore you know like I don't know if what's going on in there is similar to what we saw in the first game but he seems like exactly like Kamara was saying like I don't know he just seems more confident and he seems like he might have gotten a little like flack for being so positive like he makes a joke about like being positive is my only good trait and it it was just like a more relaxed likable version I think of Makoto I don't know if you guys felt similarly but yeah I I had a note that says Makoto quote being positive is my only good point (laughs) and I was like oh at least he's (laughs) self-aware (laughs) <laughs> I I wrote under that line I wrote this line was written by Caroline <laughs> <laughs> no I he's fine <laughs> I had a question about this too is like why didn't Toko fill Kamaru in on any everything that happened right why I I don't really understand and and Makoto like in response is like he's not that surprised that she didn't but I like, do you guys have any theories as to why she would have done that? 
I think probably to avoid the conversation of prioritizing uh, Byakuya, because I think that if Toko had said, oh, I'm part of Future Foundation, I knew your brother a long time ago, you know, like I knew Byakuya, she'd be like, cool, can you contact them? Let's get out of here. Or she, Toko has pretty much been pulling Kamaru along throughout the city. And like we've seen, like when they were on the bridge, she was really, really hesitant to leave. And I think giving away any information that would suggest that she could get them a way out of there would be detrimental to saving Byakuya. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, that's valid. I was going to say maybe it's literally just because Toko is really bad at communicating, but <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And we definitely like see like this level of commitment to Byakuya when she like is threatens to like kill Kamaru. Yeah. Oh my God. I was like, oh man. Like, yeah. yeah. And I had a note about that as well. Um, And my, it's just a, a question to pose to the group. Um. Did you guys think that Toko meant it when she said that? Yes. I think it would have hurt her a lot if she had actually had to go through with that. But she's known Kamaru for about, what, three days? And she is in love with Byakuya. Up for debate. <laughs> but... Well, she is in love with Byakuya. Yes, she she would definitely say she's in love with Byakuya. And also, like, kind of along that pathway... I had a question in here about like which of the two would you really agree with like is it so horrible for Kamaru to request to like get transport out like is it like is Toko being selfish or selfless by asking Kamaru to stay in order to try and save Byakuya I mean I think I just watched like a movie about this about oh no it was this game that we were playing (laughs) (laughs) okay um this is a theme that kind of comes up like a lot in this chapter i feel like later when haiji is like how can we do the most with like the least amount of people being in harm's way and i think that personally that's kind of the thought process i was thinking with toko because she we see later in this chapter she has just like really matured a lot and is a lot more like self-aware than she used to be and so i think maybe her thought process was less like oh, like for my own selfish needs and more like, well, if we save Byakuya, then they can come and there's less people who are in harm's way in theory, you know, because Kamaru has the hacking gun, even though she says she's a useless high school girl, which Marin and I will rant about to great lengths in this episode today. You know, she's proved herself up to this point to be capable of handling herself in this terrain. And so I, I think- one, it shows Toko's like faith in Kamaru in some ways, like that maybe they can do both. Yeah, I mean, that's really well put. I don't know if I honestly have anything else to add. Yeah, I agree with that, Caroline. Thank you. When I looked at it, like from a broader step back, uh, Kamaru's solution of getting Future Foundation to come pick them up, that saved only Kamaru, because I would imagine Toko would stay behind. So let's say that saves just Kamaru, whereas Toko's version of how to handle things had the potential to save all three, you know, Kamaru, Toko, and Byakuya. And so like, yes, while it was partially selfish because she had a personal connection to Byakuya, if if it had been Makoto, I don't know if she'd be acting the same way, to be completely frank, or like Hiro, I guess, would be a better example, because then Kamaru doesn't have a personal connection. But I think her solution had the best chance of saving the most people. So I don't know. I was kind of, actually, no, I'm not even going to lie. I was very on Toko's side. It's it's hard not to be with the the two of them, honestly. Like, I feel like it's not, there's no debate there. So we get filled in on like the whole past, the past, like the first game and then kind of like, the end of the second game like kind of you know talking about the remnants of despair and stuff like that but I noticed that once Junko's name was mentioned in that beginning zoom call as Maddie said um, (laughs) Junko began to appear in different parts of the scene throughout the rest of the game Um, like it was a lot more obvious I think than in the first two chapters specifically in Jotaro's artwork um, which they had a couple additional paintings this round I know I think it's the last episode I mentioned that there's the painting of Monica and of Kotoko and um in this one there was an additional uh, mural that was of Jotaro and Junko in the princess and the frog 
which was super interesting because like one of the main lessons that you get from the princess and the frog is that like the best pairings in life come by two people who encourage one another and promote the best traits in one another versus like forcing someone to change which is I think exactly what Jotaro wants in someone is someone who doesn't want him to change but wants to like uplift him for you know who he was or is is he dead i don't think we know if he's dead we don't don't know know. yeah so that was kind of interesting and then i mentioned last time uh that uh, kotoko has the cinderella mural um which like caroline i think you might know a little bit more about like the cinderella story and that (laughs) yeah oh yeah i can talk about it i mean yeah it's really interesting you know, like they have her painted as Cinderella. And I was just thinking of like the connections that that could hold, which are like, you know, Cinderella, like it grew up in a household with only women, but they were women who forced her to like basically be nobody and like be like a servant for their family. And there are some connections there. Like her, really her mother was the only figure present in her life. Like we learned that her father kind of was off, like having an affair with his receptionist or whatever her mother inevitably was the one who you know exposed her to these horrible things when she was so young similarly to like cinderella's stepmother you know there's not much of a comparison there with the level of horrible but like both were pretty abusive moms you know and um and so i kind of interpreted it as like you know cinderella like gets blessed by blessed (laughs) cinderella gets like magicked up by the fairy godmother and then like she's beautiful and she's like on display and on stage for the ball but then after hours once midnight hits that's all over and then the horrible reality comes back and so it's like kind of like kotoko and how she you know is the ultimate actress and she's like sparkling on stage but then you know the darker side of like it's like the the double-sided coin of you know double life kind of thing right yeah which we know one other person who has a double life which may come up later hannah montana yeah 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 Yeah, but cinderella is like like you said like i saw online and like kind of a summary of the themes of cinderella is that all of her value is found in her like femininity you know which is i think really similar to kodoko and also just kind of speaks volumes to Jotaro's artwork giving him a shout out the fact that he's finding these (laughs) themes and painting them on the walls I'm like all right buddy good for you (laughs) shout out to Jotaro for making making his dioramas you know yep (laughs) you know we don't we don't stand the ones made of human bodies but these ones are just like cardboard or whatever so yeah it's all good I had another kind of comment um, that's like sort of related and it's also about like the time when Makoto's kind of filling us in on like Junko and how everything happened there and it's just the fact that like the way that Junko is explained and like depicted in that scene is like she's like literally a religious figure because it's like oh well she had all these followers and like she had this like ideology that she was promoting which was despair right and then after her death her followers increased in number and in power, um, you know, like after she was dead. And that is like, you know, kind of like a very, how do I say this? Like a martyr. Yeah, like like she was a martyr for a cause or like a prophet or like kind of, you see there are a lot of, I mean, Jesus is only one of the many examples of like, you know, religious history of like the the founder or the figure behind the religion it only really becomes like, I don't want to say mainstream, but becomes much more powerful and takes off like after that person's death, which I just thought was interesting. To connect that sort of to like, th- this is a very different example, but like when I think of that th- that idea of someone dying and then it's like they're the symbol of who they are, like almost ascends who they actually were in life is yeah. like Joan of Arc. Like we, when I think of Joan of Arc, I think of like, queer like maybe gender queer because she's been depicted in a lot of works where like people have played around with gender and you know and how she was like a symbol for that even though like you know she was a a woman of of god her beliefs were you know christian but like you know a lot of pop culture has changed what joan is or you know it's it's like joan is joan of arc who died 
is like a different than the Joan who we see depicted in pop culture. It's like a different, yeah, like her essence is bigger than her in a way. Yeah, yeah. It takes on a life of its own, like the idea of a person, like after. My, My next note is about Celeste's cat. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really like that that deep. It's just that we like find out Celeste's person quote unquote person um that was most important to her was her cat and oh gosh what was the cat's name does anyone have it written down i do her cat's name was grand boy sherry ludenberg <laughs> it's an icon. That's so good it's Imagine. funny oh sorry go ahead <laughs> i was gonna say it's funny too because you know we learned that like a potential unused motive was like the family members being pitted against each other and i'm like how would the cat fare in that like how would that happen <laughs> isn't tokos like a stink bug <laughs> yes yes That's it is. so then we flash to our dear gals uh katoko and monica who are you know bored of a funeral so they're you know just hanging out and uh we basically learned that uh, Kotoko has been, was prostituted and raped, um, which was alluded to earlier, but now like there's some things I can bring up that were references earlier in the game that now make sense because we know this of her past. So we learned that uh, Kotoko prefers peeled to unpeeled chestnuts. And I thought that the sort of probably is an innuendo to, you know, circumcised versus uncircumcised. Um, but also a fun fact, so in literature, a chestnut is usually a symbol of chastity, which I thought was really interesting. So I interpreted this as like one whose chestnut is peeled might have not be a virgin anymore, which is, you know, maybe why she prefers someone unpeeled because um, she views herself as like tainted, which is wrong and very sad um but yeah and then the other reference uh was her preferring sweet preferring sweet snacks to salty ones and another fun fact about that is that nagito when food is being thrown at him he says he prefers salty snacks to sweet snacks and i have for in parentheses he's gay <laughs> so yeah we got to go oh there. This is the episode for it. Oh my. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah, that I I caught on to that when she said that earlier. She said, "Oh, I hate salty snacks." I was like, "That's there is a reason why." You do. So, Katoko is not sure if Jotaro is dead, which is similar to how everyone thought post Masaru's death. Um, but Monica again really angrily says like he's like gone like you don't believe me like oh my goodness I think we really see Monica's ability to manipulate people in this chapter um because one when they're talking about Jotaro post-death um or post-death quote-unquote because we don't know she is still insulting him after his death which is how he preferred to be communicated with one can assume and then with Katoko she uses her trigger word and then like like beats her up so that she's not acting like how the trigger word implies like Like, she is slapping her over and over and I was like disturbed that was one of I took a break after that (laughs) I was like this is so much yeah she is so like manipulative I yeah yeah it was kind of disturbing yeah, definitely. And it, it also like, you know, the fact that uh, Katoko, like, it's like she prefers that over someone being like, gentler with her. And, and that is sad. Yeah. Yeah. And and this is skipping way, way ahead. But they're in the like, kind of boss battle um, at the end of this chapter with her. Katoko says, like um when she's saying like like please like anything but gentle like anything but gentle she says a couple times like please hurt me instead like that's literally what she prefers because you know the alternative is just so associated so strongly associated with her trauma that she would prefer like she'd prefer monica to hit her in the face right right i i think the thing about what was done to her that is so tragic and and why that's so sad is like the the people who did this to her when they were saying they were gentle with her they they weren't being they were covering up their really horrible acts with that word 
because of that, like, that's why it's like, she just desires someone to be truthful with her to, to be like, if you're hurting me, like, like hurt me, like, tell me you're hurting me. Don't just like try to pretend that it, it doesn't hurt me because it does, you know, which I think Toko can relate to in a lot of ways too, in a different way. Like she values honesty. She wants people to be honest with her. We'll get to that later. Uh, Then we meet Kurokuma. I have no notes about him other than I don't like him. Yeah. (laughs) Same. My only note about Kurokuma says I think he's obnoxious. So annoying. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's cool that both him and Shirakuma have um, female voice actors. I just think that's kind of neat. Um, And another thing is he does make a reference to a, a, a certain little musical called Sweeney Todd because he talks about grinding up this is okay so Sweeney Todd is a musical about this guy who basically like murders people with his barber razor and then this woman makes them into pies so they get away with it basically and they use the human flesh as meat it's a very good musical but it's very disturbing so but I highly (laughs) recommend since we're explicit I'm you know I I feel okay talking about the musical but yeah he, he references that with the massacre quote that is to come which we learn later is the uh infiltration of the secret base but yeah that was kind of (laughs) cool love musical theater my next note is quote i simply cannot with kamaru (laughs) are we beginning the roast segment now shall we shall we begin (laughs) this is in reference specifically to when like, well, Kamara's been complaining about how Toko's not opening up. Toko, you keep so much from me. Oh my goodness, you didn't tell me you went to school with my brother. Then Toko, they're walking around and Toko says like, hey, like, I've never told you why I'm afraid of the dark, have I? Well, and Kamaru literally says, I'll pass. Like, Kamaru literally stops her from sharing about her, like, trauma. And is complaining about it. And I was like, so mad and then later she brings it up and she's like you've never told me why you're scared of the dark and I was like girl (laughs) you and I we don't get along (laughs) (laughs) that is the most annoying thing okay well here we go with a Kamaru roast that you've got um so I I have a whole section entitled I do not like Kamaru but if you like Kamaru that's totally valid and let's be friends but I she ranting about being normal and not having anything special like maybe make your own identity maybe just like make a choice and like be a person instead of complaining literally toko calls her out on it like a thousand times and she's using being normal as an excuse and if she doesn't believe she can do anything then she never will like dude you are oh my god and then when kamaru says about toko that she doesn't understand what it's like to be weak i was like kamaro do you do not roast my son like that that is so mean toko knows that she chooses to be better unlike you you silly girl (laughs) can we talk about kamaro's favorite saying which is all's well that ends well no it's not that's no one's favorite saying (laughs) It is not Kamaru's favorite saying. She has never once thought all's well that ends well. She's thought, oh, currently things are bad. I'm going to (laughs) quit. Like, no, I was so mad. (laughs) I have another segment proposition, (laughs) which is Toko is me. Because I think every every episode I've come up with a quote that Toko is me. Mm -hmm. And this one is when Kamaru is asking Toko if she believes in ghosts y'all know the quote's coming and she says i may be liberal arts to the core but i am capable of thinking logically and i was (laughs) like i've never felt a quote more because i'm an f on myers briggs but i'm often told that i come across as very like logical and rational a lot of the time and so yeah i felt that in my soul i know i i i thought of you when she said that quote i was like i wonder if carolina bring this up i actually (laughs) took a screenshot of it well do you if you want it. <laughs> i wonder if caroline will mention frankenstein <laughs> my next note is kind of a gameplay note actually it is just the fact that i so i this is not my style of game like the kind of actiony like shooter whatever style of game is like not 
my fave. I much prefer like kind of puzzle-based games or dialogue-based games or exploration or whatever. But I wanted to give a little shout out for like some aspects of the gameplay that like I do think were kind of good. Um, And one of them was like, if you know, like the Pac-Man style kind of Monokuma challenges where you have to go and like... Sorry, that's the little jingle. Exactly. Thank you, (laughs) Um, Yeah, where you have to like, you know, complete the objective or whatever. I didn't realize until like two days ago that if you fail the objective it doesn't just like make you repeat it It actually gives you like another version of the same kind of challenge with like different a different setup and like different monokumas but it's like a similar thing so you like go into a new room and there it's like different and um i don't know that that that's i thought that was a nice touch i thought it was cool like i i had to give the game makers props for that for like that creativity because i think a lot of times when you're playing a video game and you get stuck and you keep failing this one objective you just have to do it over and over and it's so annoying but they kind of mix it up a little. Yeah, and also we, in, in this chapter, we get to meet the mustachioed Monokumas that like stand in a line and do that like funky kind of little dance thing out around in a circle. And I like that. Which ones are those? They're, they're just Monokumas that you have to fight, but they have mustaches. And there's this one point where you like encounter them and they're standing in like a line, like one oh. behind the other and they start doing the wave thing and they're like... <laughs> it's a very small moment but i had to shout it out (laughs) that's beautiful yeah (laughs) this next note that i have is kind of existential um so if that's not your jam feel free to skip forward a little bit um but this kind of made me really sad um when you walk through the town and the building the person who i'm uh watching play the game uh their name's nora blue on youtube and they usually click on every note they find and there are notes scattered all over this place. And the first time you pick up a note, it's like, oh man, like this is so sad. And like, like this person is writing their last words. These are the last dying words of these people. And it's either, I hate these kids or my own kids betrayed me or like, I'm so sad and I haven't done enough. But I found when I was like watching the playthrough for this, when they would pick up a note and it would be about that, there was a part of me that was a little disappointed because I was like, oh, this isn't like a reference. Like this isn't like related to gameplay. And the fact that in three chapters, I'd become slightly desensitized to people's last words, their dying words, where they are professing their, their guilt, their grief, their distress, like that really struck me. And like it speaks not only to desensitization of like us as a people when you know we see bad things but also how similar we are to one another as humans because like if you look at all of those notes there's very similar themes in each one and yeah I I just had a really like big moment with that where I realized yeah and it really makes you think about like what we can get desensitized to as people like pretty much anything So one of the next things that we see is Monica talking with uh, Nagisa and uh, Kotoko. And Kotoko says something along the lines of, it's our right to kill these people, uh, to kill these demons. And Monica says, don't you mean duty? And it's very interesting to look at how the two are viewing this differently um, because we don't know what Monica's like past life trauma has been at this point. But we do, after this chapter, know Kotoko's, and hers is such a, like, violent, horrible trauma that she views it as, like, she she gets permission to do this. They did something to her, and so she now has permission to do something bad in return, whereas Monica's viewing it more as, like, we need to do this. Like, it's our task. We, we like, have to do this, not because we can, but because we should. And, it, like, it must happen. And I think that's kind of interesting to look at for in the future, why that might be to kind of look back on this moment, maybe, um, when we learn more. But, yeah. It's almost like she idolizes a certain uh, martyr. <laughs> maybe, like, maybe, like, a Junko. Junko. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then the other thing, which is right before, it's kind of before and during the meeting, is you see Shirakuma 
um, we've traveled back down. We're now back in the secret base and we see Shirakuma and Shirakuma's like kind of flip-flopping on what his like ideals are and what his goals are in this mission. Like before they go talk to Haiji, he says, you have to save the adults. You have to destroy the kid asteroid. And then later Shirakuma's like, but why can't we just consider talking to them? And it kind of made me uncomfortable. Like it was like, I don't know where Shirakuma lies in the yeah. whole thing. Yeah. I didn't trust Shirakuma. All right, everybody, we're going to take a quick break. But before we do, do you like what you're listening to today? If you do, the best way to show us your support is to give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. It means the absolute world to us. And we love hearing from you guys and hearing from all of you on social media. Follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. We're Ultra Hope Girls Podcast everywhere. And if you want your question featured in the season finale of season three, make sure you leave an audio message at anchor.fm and we're going to get to those then we're really excited to answer all your questions but that's it for now we'll be back after the break hello everybody caroline here with a pretty exciting announcement so I, separate from the other Ultra Hope girls, am offering some online virtual classes in things such as writing, because, you know, I'm the ultimate literary girl, and performing, and also some clubs and classes virtually via my own school, which I founded, called The Spilling Ink School. You can check that out at thespillinginkschool.com. I'm offering tutoring and college essays. I'm offering, you know, piano classes and all that jazz. So definitely check it out. It's a good time. And I will also be offering some clubs and classes that are Danganronpa related via OutSchool. So I'll keep the links all in the description. They are for people under 18, so ask your parents before checking it out. But yeah, I'm excited to potentially have some listeners in my classes, and I wanted to let you know that that's going on. So thanks so much in advance for checking it out, and I look forward to teaching some of you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My only note before we get to like the attack is adult L is Jason LMAO. Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, like, I just hear him. I know when it's him, man. He has this like specific, I don't know, lilt. And But he was doing this thing. So, one thing with voice acting that, like, this is such a tangent for a second of adult L, but, um, you know. <laughs> With voice acting, like, there's a couple of different ways you can modify your voice. Like, there's pitch, there's tempo, and there's, um, oh, God. I can't, I can't think of the last one. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But it was so clear that Jason, in this, you know, subliminal role, was like, all right, I'm just going to talk really fast, like this, and no one's going to know it's me. And that's it. But he he sounds like better than that. Like he actually understand what he's saying. But like I could totally tell. Anyway, this is really funny. That's awesome. Oh, I also wanted to bring up how it's just interesting that now in this chapter there's a conspiracy theory that the Future Foundation is behind all of it, which I thought was really yeah. interesting. My personal opinion is that you know I think that as an audience we are supposed to root for Future Foundation because. They are the characters that we love. You know what I mean? So, yeah, but I, I don't know. I, at this point in the game as an audience, it's, you know, I, I don't think most people f- would fall for that kind of, I don't know. Yeah, and there's kind of the juxtaposition of like Toa Group and the Future Foundation, which seem to maybe be at odds, at least from like the kind of newspaper clippings or some of the readings that we find. Like some of them are, you know, like you mentioned, the conspiracy theory kind of like, um, talking about, ooh, Future Foundation, they might be behind this, ooh, evil. And then um, we've also seen a lot of, like, notes and articles and stuff about Toa Group, like, kind of praising it as, like, 
the savior of the modern world and like oh they invented the air filter and they made all this technology and it like saved humanity and blah blah blah, blah. but yeah i do think those i do think as an audience i agree with you we are supposed to root, be rooting for future foundation we know biakia is part of future foundation so we, so must we have to root for, for <laughs> i did think it was interesting in that meeting with like adult l um that <laughs> All of the adults were grouping both the kids with the helmets and the warriors of hope as the same group. It was kind of an interesting distinction. It's just children versus adults at this point. It's not those five versus the adults. Yeah, and I didn't really, we we don't get to see a lot of what's happening outside. And we learn in that meeting that the killing began when we as Kamaru left that building. That is when the killing started, which also speaks to how chaotic it is and how many murders are happening so fast. But we don't really see any of the kids hurting adults. We see them dancing around their bodies. We see them doing some questionable things, handing out riddles, giggling. But like, I don't know. From like a player, I wasn't comfortable with there being no distinction between like the ones who we have seen murder and the ones who we have not. Right. Because technically it's the Monokumas. It's the robots that are doing all the damage. Yeah. Right. Hmm. So are we ready for Toko and Kamara's big fight? I think... I, I am, if you guys are. Yeah, I'm ready, dude. The girls are fighting! Whoa! <laughs> Mom! When Kamaru said, that's why you don't have any friends, I literally aloud went, whoa! <laughs> 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 Oof. Yeah, I mean, just... But then Toko is like, oh, but I can't just leave you to run off by yourself. Like, she's like, I have to follow you. And so they're like fighting and then Kamara's like, fine, just leave. And it's like all dramatic, but then they just like still run off together. Um, it's like when you say goodbye to someone and then you walk in the same direction as them. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> but I didn't think that was like a nice thing. Like, I didn't think it was Toko being like, but I can't leave you because I can't. No, I think was, agreed. Yeah, it was Toko being like, I can't risk future foundation saving you. I got to be ready to murder you like I promised. <laughs> I exactly. Like, yeah, <laughs> I agree. I have so my only real note about like the kind of fight that they have is a quote from Toko that I just wanted to like emphasize because it just makes me have like mad respect for her um and it's like down in the base when they're in the base and they're like talking to Haiji or whatever and Kamaru I think Caroline you mentioned this earlier when Kamaru like says like to Toko that she doesn't know what it's like to like struggle or I don't remember exactly what she says but then Toko responds like, I don't understand what it's like to be weak. You think I'm chosen? You must be kidding. What's so great about me, huh? I'm a walking inferiority complex. I don't have confidence. I never have. But what's going to change if I just keep saying that? Using that as an excuse every day. I learned that from the killing. I su- from the killing game, meaning that. I suffered for it, but I did something about it. And like, just what, what growth, you know? What a queen. Um, I kind of have a random note, uh, which is that we find a book in the hallway that is called, finally, a way to skillfully stack ice cream. And that book is about a boy who thinks he has no talent, but actually ends up having a lot of talent, which is the plot of the second game. And so I was like, what are these creators doing? (laughs) (laughs) You're yep. like, hey guys, are you going to recognize this very meta reference? Like throughout this entire game, like this chapter specifically, there are a lot of lines that's like, oh, this is as if we're playing like a, a video game. And I'm like, guys, like <laughs> they were in the writing room, like, okay, we need like one more line for someone to say, oh, let's have them make a meta reference. Oh, great. <laughs> if we need, if we can't come up with another title option, I think finally a way to skillfully stack ice cream could be up there finally <laughs> finally what we've all been waiting for for years no woman no cry <laughs> <laughs> because that song maddie i had to start with Marin. that song is like i don't is it no woman no cry or is it no woman no cry like you know <laughs> what i mean <laughs> Well, we may never know. I know. It's a mystery. <laughs> I have a question for the group. Are you ready? I've ready. never been more ready. Who is the worst leader in Danganronpa and why is it Haiji? 
Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't do anything. He literally does nothing. He's a figurehead. He feels like he, yeah, totally not. Do not like him. (laughs) Valid question, Marin. Thank you. Who is the worst leader? Why is it IG? (laughs) Uh, Because that's the correct answer. (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, after the attack, Haiji just like starts screaming at them, like, oh my god, this is your fault. He is the worst. I do not like him after that. I, oh my god. But yeah. he references a folk tale about uh, a bat, uh, you know, between a war of the birds and the beasts. And this is actually an Aesop's fable. Fun fact. And I have it pulled up. It's very short. If you would like me to just read it. How's that sound? All right. Mm. A great conflict was about to come off between the birds and the beasts. When the two armies were collected together, the bat hesitated which to join. The birds that passed his perch said, come with us. But he said, I am a beast. Later on, some beasts who were passing underneath him looked up and said, come with us. But he said, I am a bird. Luckily, at the last moment, peace was made and no battle took place so the bat came to the birds and wished to join in the rejoicings but they all turned against him and he had to fly away he then went to the beasts but soon had to beat a retreat or else they would have torn him to pieces ah said the bat i see now he that is neither one thing nor the other has no friends and that is the moral of this fable because there's always a fate you know moral at the end of an aesop's fable and i feel like yes Haiji is a poopy poop face about all this whole situation but <laughs> agreed i was gonna say piece of shit but we can't <laughs> yes we can it's explicit right? true uh, whatever yes. well, you know but i kind of got from this like kamaru this whole time is like i'm not special i'm not chosen i i'm not this i'm not that i'm the other thing i don't know i'm I, what am i and i'm like sir if you're learning anything from this folktale right now, it's that if you're not confident in who you are, you're not going to have any friends. Okay. <laughs> so that's kind of what I interpreted it as less like, oh, you must conform to one group or another. And more like, if you're, if you don't know who you are, like you, you know, it's like, you can't love someone before you love yourself. That kind of thing, like building that, um, your identity basically. That also reminds me, there is a Netflix uh, documentary called The Social Dilemma. And in it, it talks about how because of social media, our brains have been altered over time to become more extremist. People are less moderate than they used to be because of social media and because you get affirmation from saying things, liking things, doing things. And so people have become way more divided than they used to be. I highly, highly recommend watching it. It is one of the most interesting things I've watched in a long time. So highly recommend. But that like whole story reminds me of that because it, it's kind of like you can't have a moderate opinion and be accepted. Like that it speaks to our society today that people are so much you have to be this or you have to be that and if you have a mixed opinion if you're seeing things in gray then you're out on both sides and like that wow that is so interesting thank you for looking that up and reading it yeah so when katoko comes into the room she says thank you very much and that is a reference to andrew kaufman who is a comedian on saturday night live he was on a couple tv shows um and he is described as a song and dance man whose willingness to promote negative and confused reactions from audiences gave him the fame that he had that was from his wikipedia page thank you wikipedia that's pretty much katoko basically like she is kind of a song and dance woman you know she's been raised her entire life to be an actress um and i think a lot of her character does kind of provoke those negative and confused reactions from players so my favorite scene in this entire chapter is when genocide jack is breaking out of uh her cell and she goes to get the stuff from the kids and she's being her like normal over-the-top self she's like (laughs) and the kids are like shook like the kids who are normally giggly let's hand out riddles and dance around dead bodies are just like stare at her like slack jawed like <laughs> that's my favorite scene yeah Wait, but don't they have the helmets on yeah but i imagine them they, they're spiritually slack jawed <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. The i was like wait a second 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that scene. Yeah, she's just so great. And when she like bends over backwards, oh my god, I love <laughs> her so much. My next thing is the hand machine. The worst yeah. thing in the world. I I will say this, I, I did say before we would get to it. This scene, the was the scene where I put my laptop down, I walked away, and I didn't come back to the game for like three days and I really was thinking about just not finishing it um I ended up going back because I felt like I had to see it through but like I hated this scene it was so uncomfortable and like I get why some you know some people would say like oh well you're supposed to be uncomfortable during the scene like yes you are and like I just I don't think what I struggle with most about this scene is why was it necessary why is it in this game like I honestly I have very strong feelings about this in case you can't tell like what did that add to the plot what did that add to the gameplay literally nothing except to just be so effed up and weird and um I I hated it and I thought it was completely messed up and completely unnecessary that's (laughs) I'm done ranting now no I so I have a big like thing like my big point at the end is kind of about like what why this chapter matters like why it's here and like but I think my point could still be made if they cut that scene out or making it something that you know depend like you can either do it or you don't have to do it Mm. that kind of thing that made me uncomfortable but that was not even a slice of the life Katoko had because that's a machine and so like that made you uncomfortable that made me uncomfortable I think that probably made most of the players uncomfortable but that's not even close to what she experienced and think about how uncomfortable it made you and she didn't get to escape from that she didn't get to put it away for three days you know and so like I struggled with it and I don't love it but I get it like I I get what they were trying to make us feel you know so I'm gonna bring up my big point now actually this is a good segue so the title of this chapter is called cute girls battlefield this is loaded this is a loaded like statement here because as women every day is a battlefield of like fighting a lot of the points that are brought up in this chapter and I think that I'd be curious because I don't know any men who have played this game. And so maybe once I know men who have, I will ask, but we all three, you know, texting before this, we're like, oh my God, this chapter is just awful. I hate replaying it. And I'm curious if that is because we are women, honestly, because the female experience, like knowing and being part of that, I'm sure that there are men who play this who feel uncomfortable. And I'm only basing this off of three people you know people's opinions here but i it's close to home for some of the things that like we have to deal with on a daily basis like we're constantly told it's our fault if we wear like a slightly sexy outfit you know that we are the ones to blame for provoking the of the you know assaulter or the whoever if that's you know what we're talking about and you know in my la business of theater class my teacher who is a man straight up told us that sex sells so you need to find your sex appeal if you're a woman in la that is just how the business is and i was like why is that what we're selling here and i think that that's part of the reason why this chapter makes us in particular so uncomfortable is because we are women yeah and maybe that's something uh listeners if you're interested in talking to us about that sharing your opinion uh we'll start a conversation on that in our discord and and please uh, become a patron join in on that we'd love to hear from you um and yeah how maybe your experiences have affected how you played this chapter Ooh, and okay also last thing to close out this point is a quote from kotoko which is it's I think it's said in the scene with the with this hand, the hand stuff. Um, being adorbs isn't always a good thing. Cute girls go through terrible things, and if you're adorable too, you have to protect yourself on your own. If you can't, you have to take whatever they give you. Um, it's a shitty rule, but I don't make it. Adults did, so be prepared for that life. And the fact that that is what we're drilling in young girls' heads 
I also think this speaks to Katoko's um, level of maturity. Not that what she's saying is right, obviously. It shouldn't be like that, obviously. But I think when I've played this game, I've always viewed Nagisa as the smartest one in the bunch. And I think that that isn't necessarily correct. I think that Katoko is one of the kids who has really had to grow really fast and unfortunately. And yeah, like she she sees what her world is. She's not pretending it's something that it's not. And yeah, I don't know. I think that speaks volume to her character. Yeah, agreed. So on a lighter note, um, when Genocide Jack is battling Kotoko um, in that like scene, that same scene, um, the person that I was watching was playing and they used fever time on like the fever attacks, <laughs> fever time, <laughs> they used the fever attacks um, to attack Kotoko. And one of them was called Gino's Haircut Shop, where you can get a horrible haircut. And it's, it pictures Kotoko with Leon's hair, like for a second. I kid you not. I was like, what? <laughs> it was crazy. So, what I'm hearing is that Leon has bad hair. Yes. Unfortunately, that, <laughs> that is what I'm hearing. <laughs> oh my god. Sorry to all the I like Leon stands out there. Maddie likes Maddie? his hair. Everyone's looking at me now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. My next note is is about um is about the boss battle. Um, I just thought it was interesting how um, Kotoko's fighter robot was like anything but adorbs because like that's you know being adorbs has been like Kotoko's whole thing or whatever and then her fighter robot comes out and I don't really know what I was expecting maybe like something pink but I definitely was not expecting that like big like fearsome like samurai like robot thing that that was just funny to me but it, it i will say i will acknowledge it did have floating like little pink hearts come out of its hand at one point so little bit of dorbs but like i just thought it was perfect honestly like more fitting to like um probably what katoka would have wanted because i think in a way she doesn't really want to be seen as this like cute little girl anymore because that's you know as she said before in her quote cute girls go through terrible things she doesn't want that so she has this like scary samurai robot come out and try to crush you know the people and yeah that little release where she dropped kind of the act of like i'm so angry you know and like acting happy she really reminded me of mikon um where yeah. it was that shift where it's so scary because normally they're so innocent yeah, it, it really made me sad. Like, the, of all the parts in this chapter, that was the part that made me tear up a little bit because she was like, then why didn't anyone come save me? And then she puts the facade back on and she's like, that wasn't me. I was acting. And it's like, oh, my heart just broke into 10,000 pieces. Why didn't anyone save her? Like, oh, it was, yeah. yeah. It's, it was- it's kind of like when Masaru started like beating his own arm it, it was that similar effect it's just like all of a sudden this like oof like it's just heartbreaking and then Kotoko has like um she when she's pulling out the like robot like remote control or whatever she I think at that point is like having a full-on breakdown and like crying because um because Toko uh used like her like trigger word without realizing it and then that you know the effect that that has on Kotoko is like really really heartbreaking um kind of on a similar note to like talking about the robot and like how it wasn't very cute and um similar to the quote that caroline had said uh her robot boom highlander the great is a reference to alexander the great who is thought of as one of the strongest military leaders of all time she is the fighter of the group um and i think that that is not simply in like a fun like oh someone's the mage and someone's you know whatever but also that she has had to fight her entire life and so why not pick the strongest fighter like or one of the strongest fighters in the world to represent you in battle like i i just really loved that um going off of that i've brought up a a jungian archetype for every uh episode this season for chapter analysis and uh kotoko is no different um but kotoko is uh 
the fighter, which falls under the rebel archetype of the Jungian archetypes. And I just wanted to read out some of these that I thought resonated with her. Um, the core desire of the rebel is revenge. Um, and their goal is to overturn what isn't working. And their greatest fear is to be powerless. And their weakness is crossing over to the dark side, which I thought was really interesting because I think that, you know, her, she is skewed in her way of wa of wanting to handle what had happened to her and like getting revenge on all the adults. Yeah, it's been really cool to follow the archetypes as we go along with every character because, you know. Yeah. It's like my favorite part of the episode when you bring that up. I'm like, wow. I mean, they're cool. they're a tool for storytelling, which is why you see them so many so much in media. Okay, my last note is that Genocide Jack saves Kotoko. And it's interesting because it's for a split second and then the next cutscene, Toko is back. It's almost as if Genocide Jack came out for one second to save Kotoko and then rever and then went back in. And I almost thought, thought of this as like, she sees how much pain that this girl is in. And that's when she appeared for Toko the first time is when she was at her absolute worst in, in incredible pain. And she recognizes it when she sees it and understands the suffering. And so that's what brought her out to save Kotoko at the last minute because she was her only hope in that. So yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting that they also Kotoko, Toko. Okay, anyway. <laughs> true <laughs> yeah okay I'm done. so this note that i have is just something i noticed from the kind of like youtube walkthrough that i was re-watching um to take notes and i think this only this might only be the case for um if you're playing this game on playstation but if you get like you know sometimes you get actually no i think this is a thing for every console whatever you're playing it on but you know the trophies that you get at the end of the chapter um, the one at the end of this chapter is a picture of Kotoko with a quote that says, you merely broke my life on it. And that, I looked that up and that is a quote from, that's from a quote from Lolita. The full quote is, he broke my heart, you merely broke my life. And I don't, I have not read Lolita and I don't really know the context of that quote. Maybe one of you does, but I do know that Lolita is a story about a very young girl and an older man who is a pedophile and is like, obsessed with this girl and it's very it's got very creepy undertones and very you know messed up things and uh yeah I was actually gonna I was thinking about looking at Lolita to like come up with some notes for this episode but I thought you know I kind of decided against it because this alone has enough to talk about we don't need to bring in a whole other story but yeah, that's really cool and very interesting. Cause I was wondering like throughout when I was playing, I was like, is there going to be a reference? Because this is pretty closely yeah. aligned. One tiny reference at the very end there. Okay. So my last note that I have is at the end of the boss battle, like the very, very end, when you get that final hit on her robot, she says, turning, turning a swiftly tilting world. And I believe, I think it could be a reference to one of two things. The first is a, a Swiftly Tilting Planet by Madeline Langle, um, who I think wrote A Wrinkle in Time. If yes, I'm not, Okay, cool. Um, but I personally thought it lined more closely with a poem called The Second Coming by William Butler Yeats. And I just want to read some of the lines of this. Um, so it says, Turning and turning in the widening gyre, mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood dim tide is loosed and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Surely some revelation is at hand. Surely the second coming is at hand. And like that really spoke to me because one, the, the line where it says the best lack all conviction while the worst are full of passionate intensity, like the best in this case would be Kamaru, who lacks all conviction like that. <laughs> that's pretty lined up. And then while the worst are full of passionate intensity, that reminds me a lot of Kotoko in this chapter, who is full of just passionate hatred.
and then the second coming at hand i believe in this chapter when monica is sitting around that red magic circle kurukuma describes her as potentially like the second junko and like so it kind of reminded me of like i'm losing this battle but be warned like the second coming is at hand um and i oh man i was just like wow this poem is so yes <laughs> good job william <laughs> Proud of you, oh, buddy. William Yeats. <laughs> yeah. My last like plot summary kind of thing was um, the you know the the pentagram that Mo- Monica is like you know drawing into the floor and has Junko's face in the middle, but also um, just noting the fact that Nagisa steps in at the end of the boss battle and decides to let Komaru leave town while Kotoko is there watching too. All right, everybody, we're going to roll into our um, amended bedwed behead of this this fine eve. Um, and we're going to be picking between Kotoko, Monica, and Genocide Jack, our lovely ladies who are featured in this episode. So Marin and Maddie, you are going to be deciding who you would rather go to a water park with, go back in time with, and I'll say specifically the Victorian era or who you would want to go to space with okay i have my answers please go okay so part of this is um elimination based okay so first of all water park genocide jack we see in this chapter that she is able to leap to heights that are unknown to man so we would not have to wait in a single line she would just (laughs) jump both of us up to the beginning of the slide it would be incredible genocide jack water park Um, I would never in a million years make Kotoko go back in time because women weren't as respected as they are today in the olden days. And that girl does not need any more of that. So she's going to space with me. So (laughs) Kotoko and I, we're going to have a good time. We're going to play some charades. It'll be a blast. Maybe some Uno if we're feeling wild. And then, of course, last but not least, Monica and I will be traveling back in time to the Victorian era. We will be wonders to the world. And uh, yeah. I actually have the same answers as you, Marin. Yay! Um, yeah, I would definitely, definitely go to a water park with Genocide Jack. She would love it. That would be so fun. I just would be a little scared that she'd like whip out the scissors and like pop the inner tube or whatever on like the water slide. Or <laughs> oh my <something>. God! <laughs> like, <laughs> just, she just pops in and then we're just like flying off the side of the the like big like <laughs> toilet bowl ride where you're like flowing like flying back and forth you just go like yeeting into the sun um she totally but- would too she'd be like let's make this a little more fun and then pop it or two <laughs> <laughs> it'd be fun it'd be a fun time sure. um and then yeah i also would probably bring monica with me going back in time just because yeah, yeah i agree with you i don't think i'd want to do that to um kotoko and um you know monica is shrewd she's manipulative if we need to like pretend that we're like little peasants like and go do i don't know like go finagle our way into the palace of wherever you know she could do it (laughs) she could (laughs) she could convince me i don't know what i'm saying kotoko is also shrewd and can manipulate people but you know i don't know that's not important (laughs) (laughs) you know i i i just come from a place of like being a little scared to go back in time and like you know get arrested and like sent to the gallows for like wearing my socks the wrong way or something and so I don't know maybe Monica would be able to help me get out of that situation because she's she's Monica anyway I would bring Kotoko to space because I don't think I would be able to stand being in like a small like space compartment with either Monica or Genocide Jack for an extended period of time. I think that might be a little dangerous. Um, I'd be a little scared. But Kotoko, I think we might be able to, you know, connect. We might be able to, you know, have some good conversations or whatever. And You, you could know. get in on our Uno game. I could, oh, yeah. yeah. Let's all, three of us, we're going to space. <laughs> space with K- Kotoko. So I have completely different answers actually so i would take kotoko to the water park because i think that girl just needs some fun 
and she's gonna ride on some slides with me space isn't fun steps. space is fun yeah. <laughs> but i think that like you know with other kids her age and like you know that kind of thing and it would be super fun and uh i would go back in time with genocide jack because heck yeah that would be the best time travel buddy and we would be like lesbian gangsters like in the victorian era and like break all the rules and like go and like screw things up and like be wild and chaotic and it would be so much fun um and then i would go to space with monica because um she i don't know i just because that's the last one and i i don't know (laughs) we could play uno too yeah yeah true she probably knows how to fly a spaceship i feel like that woman just knows things woman she's a child you know what i mean though (laughs) it's canon she can fly a spaceship All right, listeners, that concludes this episode. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And um, we know that this episode, you know, included some very, very heavy themes. So if you stuck around for it, thank you. We appreciate you. If you are going through a rough time or if anything in this episode was upsetting to you to hear, we, you know, are sending our thoughts and our love and we've got your back. If you, like we said in the episode, if you have thoughts that you'd like to share with us, Um, you can leave us a voicemail at anchor.fm and have the chance to be featured on our podcast. Or if you'd like to send us a voice message with your thoughts, but you don't necessarily want it to be featured, if you'd prefer to um, just have us hear it or stay anonymous or whatever, that's fine too. You can just let us know. And if you are interested in joining a Discord server with us and talking about these things more and having a chance to, you know, see some bonus episodes of our podcast, consider becoming a patron. The lowest tier is just $2 a month. And we are always enormously appreciative of the support from our patrons. So feel free to join us. Don't forget to follow us on social media. We are Ultra Hope Girls podcast pretty much everywhere, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And as always, thank you for listening and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.